So, uh, a lot of what we're going to talk about today is, um, is there like something leaking in the building right now? <laughs> it's hitting right there. It's raining pretty hard outside. <laughs> Just something's right over there. I figured if I can hear it, you can hear it, we might as well address it. Um, what we're going to talk about is going to sound a lot like we're still in the spiritual discipline study. We actually have left that study and we're starting a brand new study next week about what we believe and why we believe it. But uh, there's some stuff in here that, that we could have included uh, as spiritual discipline for sure and, and probably uh, need to hear it in that context. So let's not get too caught up in series, not series. Hey, we're just here to listen to the Lord and uh, let him teach us. So our text for today is from 1 Peter Chapter 3, verse 14 through 16. Let's read it together. Um, I'll read it aloud. You can follow along. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. This is Peter writing uh, to the early church. And he says, do not fear their threats. Another translation I really like says, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. I want to focus on uh, that sentence that's right in the middle there uh, of the whole passage and right in the middle of of verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But before we zoom in on that verse, I want to kind of zoom out big picture. As I said, Peter is the one writing. He's writing to the very first Christian church, a good mixture of uh, this particular uh, group of churches in Asia Minor uh, is a good mixture of uh, uh, Gentiles and Jews, more a little bit more Gentile uh, in nature, but they're scattered uh, in this region, and they are seeking to live out in this uh, pretty pagan, polytheistic culture of their day, this new faith in Christ. And so uh, it's very important for Peter to get across this message to them of how to do that. They, they need to hear this stuff. Uh, and I think uh, there's a lot of similarities uh, to our culture uh, that make us in need of hearing some of the things that, that Peter is saying. Um, this writing, they, they think, uh, came right before all, all the persecution that, that really started to, to literally heat up under Nero. And, and so... Uh, it's almost prophetic in some ways. I'm not sure if that's what the Lord was, was uh, actually doing through Peter or if there was enough uh, persecution that was already kind of starting to happen when he wrote this that it made sense to say these things or if they heard it and didn't really like clue in as much. But maybe as they read it later, uh, they, they, they understood what he was talking about because it got really bad for them. Uh, and, and so that's why in verse 14 it says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts 
always revere Christ. So um, as we live in the pagan culture that we live in um, and, and think about the possibility of, of being persecuted, now we're probably not ever going to face um, uh, being burned at the stake like uh, these early brothers and sisters were. Uh, but it's not that difficult to think about an increasing level of persecution in our society. For those who are truly following Christ, and where that kind of butts up against the, the world and, and its ways and its ideals, uh, in our lifetime, that, that, I, I think we're going to see a lot more of that, and certainly in our, in our children's lifetime, uh, they're going to see a lot more of that. But let me be clear about what Christian persecution is, okay? So before we start thinking everything that goes wrong with us, we're Christian, it's persecution. That's not how it works. It has to be like because you're living for Christ, because you're, you're doing things uh, that, that as you follow Jesus, um, come into conflict with the world and the powers that be. That's when you're really being persecuted. So, um, but in, in a culture that we live in that's right now full of hatred toward any opposing view. It's not that difficult to, to see how Christians could be that opposing view. I mean, we, we already see it in, in, in a lot of ways, but uh, I think that the way that that's going to continue to, to unfold and, and get more serious uh, is, is really not too far out there. So, um, if or when we do, as Peter teaches, uh, see persecution, we need to remember that we're blessed, that we don't have to be afraid, and that our response should be gentle and respectful. So just kind of, that's not really what we're talking about today, uh, but it, it, it's important and it's uh, something that this passage that we are looking at is couched in. So I want you to just kind of stuff that away for uh, when, it, when it's needed, so that you respond appropriately, so that you don't react in fear um, when uh, you're following Jesus and the world doesn't like it, so that you know that you can respond appropriately with gentleness and respect, uh, something that might surprise those who are persecuting you. In fact, Peter talks about that they will be ashamed. Now, I have a hard time understanding that passage in our culture today because there doesn't seem to be much shame left. But uh, I trust that the Spirit of God will still be at work in people's lives to shame them. It's not our job to do that. It's not even our goal to do that. But Peter's kind of peeling back the curtain a little bit and saying, this is what will happen if you do it the right way. God's going to take care of it. So just kind of tuck that away. Uh, it may be useful for you in the future. It may be useful for you this week. Uh, how many of you, shifting gears a little bit, think or know, and I want you to raise your hand. Uh, I do want you to raise your hand if I make sure I clear, clearly communicate that. How many of you know or uh, think that you have the spiritual gift of evangelism? Good. Don't be shy. Buck, maybe. Alicia, maybe. Okay, cool. All right. Um, 
It's about what I expected. Not too many of us. How many of you know that you absolutely do not have the spiritual gift of evangelism? Okay. I'm not an evangelist. I uh, don't think or operate that way. Um, but I grew up in a church that's very evangelistic, and uh, it's very hard to, to kind of mesh some of that thinking with what you know to be true about yourself. And some of you may be in this situation uh, a lot of times when you hear evangelism. And as, as I talk about that now, you may already be like, oh, no. It's talking about evangelism. I don't want to hear about evangelism. I don't want to hear about any kind of, you know, steps that are going to make it easier for me to be an evangelist because I ain't going to do it. This is not me. I'm not, it doesn't work that way. Well, that's okay. Uh, uh, it'll work out here. Let's just stay with me. Uh, when I think of evangelism, I think of this guy. Anybody remember this movie? Leap of Faith. Uh, I had a seminary professor that was in this movie. He was one of the ones that got healed, and he used to love to talk about it. And, um, and it was uh, in the, the late 80s, and so you know, the, the real, the height of a lot of the bad evangelists, like the, the TV evangelists, the, the ones that were telling you to send money uh, and you'll get a prayer cloth and, and all that. So we spent a lot of time in class m making fun of these guys and he had videos that it was hilarious. But uh, it was sad too because it, it was a reflection of what uh, had gone wrong with evangelism. And I think of Steve Martin, uh, Jonas, uh, what's his name? Anyway, uh, it, was, it was a pretty funny movie, but it's also sad. And it, and it to me, kind of embodies that, that whole era and that idea of bad evangelists. Uh, if you're not like me and cynical and you're, you're more pure at heart, when you think of evangelism, you probably think of this guy, uh, Billy Graham. I never got to hear Billy Graham in person, but uh, he had some little offshoot-type crusades that he would send to smaller towns. And I don't remember exactly who the preacher was or anything, but I remember it was a Billy Graham crusade because they had all the Billy Graham little booklets that you filled out uh, after the fact. And, uh, and I got saved at one of these things. And so uh, I appreciate this form of evangelism. But... I also fully understand that it's not the only way or the way that everybody is supposed to do it. And so we've got to think about evangelism as being um, not, uh, not exactly the way that uh, we may have always thought about it and uh, expand our mind a little bit to see how we're supposed to be involved in it. Because there's also a lot of other people uh, as I think about evangelism, the people who are able to just some kind of like crazy connect with complete strangers and have awesome conversations just really naturally that lead to uh, a conversation about Jesus, that lead to, to people uh, uh, choosing to, to trust him and follow him. And I, I think that that's great. And that doesn't have to happen or, or shouldn't happen from a platform. It happens uh, in daily life. And, and those people are gifted evangelists. If you've ever been around one, I mean, you know, they just kind of have a gift that's different from what you're able to do. When I tried to do that stuff because of whatever training my, you know, church wanted to take me through to make me better at being able to share the Roman road or, or whatever that stuff uh, might be, little uh, track that 
actually folds out into the shape of a cross, and who couldn't get saved after it ends up with that? Like, whoa, like that's awesome. Um, the answer was there to your problem. Uh, I was terrible at it. And all it ended up doing was either making me look stupid or making Jesus look stupid. And I wasn't interested in either one of those things. And so I just, you know, gave up pretty quickly on doing that kind of stuff. But a lot of us who grew up in church in those kind of environments were taught that that's what we're supposed to do. That's, we've got to be evangelists in that way. And I don't think that's, uh, that's true. Um, The good news is that you're not all evangelists. You're all not called to do that. Uh, And Paul tells us so. Ephesians 4.11 says that, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, and he gave this to the church. These are people that he's given, gifts uh, that he's given to the church. The prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Um, Specific people have this task. And then uh, when he writes to the, the Colossian church, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. Talking about the apostles, um, the, the ones who were out evangelizing the world, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in change, chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And notice He's not ever going to say and pray that you would do the same. He's not praying the same prayer. He's not asking for the same thing for them. He's saying pray for us. We're the ones that are supposed to be doing this. Um, And and then here's what you do, uh, church. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Sounds similar to what Peter says, right? So here we are, you know, kind of with this early evangelism strategy that God seems to have put in motion with the church, that there's some people who are gifted that are out there doing it, maybe from a platform uh, that we don't have, and then there's the rest of us that are supposed to be uh, engaging the world, engaging the culture, engaging the people around us, and uh, being ready to, uh, to give answers for uh, what we believe. So, we're not all evangelists. However, we are supposed to be taking part in evangelism. We're supposed to be evangelistic. So, the rest of this, what we're going to talk about is basically evangelism for the rest of us. Okay? Um, so, let's see what we can learn from what Peter is, is talking about here. Uh, I, I think more in terms of not being evangelistic, but, but being missionaries. Uh, somewhere in my faith journey, this just made a huge difference. It, it just really clicked. To, to, I think it was because I heard a guy talking about North America as a mission field in a way that I had never heard before uh, back in 1999 or so, maybe even before that we started the church, somewhere in the late 90s. Um, and it was eye-opening to me. He was talking about how the world is starting to send people to uh, North America to evangelize, to be missionaries. And uh, growing up in the Bible Belt, that was just like, wow, that's hard to believe. But 
what he was saying was, was true. He was talking about how we are increasingly becoming a pro- post-Christian uh, society and uh, places where they recognize that and recognize the need for uh, a certain kind of evangelism strategy are coming over to be missionaries. And I thought, well, if we should just be missionaries, right? We're already here. We should be doing that kind of stuff. And that's what he was trying to say and, and, uh, as he talked about church planting. And so was very uh, helpful in the early stages of Calm Church to, to think that way. And I want us to continue to think that way. We should all have a missionary mindset for what we're doing, uh, what we're doing together, what we're doing in our world. Um, so that means that some of you are basically missionaries to College Station, Texas. Some of you are sent to Bryan, Texas. Some of you are sent to Texas A&M. Some of you are sent to your school, to your workplace, to your social circles, to your neighborhood, uh, to be a missionary. That's the mindset that we have to take. It's the wherever you go part of the Great Commission. When, when Jesus commands us to, to, to go, to, to, to be on the move as his people, as, as missionaries. So how do we do that? Well, let's go back to 1 Peter and look at uh, that verse a little more specifically um, where it says, always be prepared to give an answer. Always be prepared to give an answer. Uh, the, the, the translation from the original Greek is basically where, where we get the, the word that we use for apologetics or defending our faith here. Uh, and, and so that's the kind of some of the context that he's speaking in. But I think it applies to any kind of sharing of our faith. So how do we do that missionary thing? We do it by answering questions. Always be prepared to give an answer. That's not us initiating That's us being asked a question and us having an answer ready to give. Now, it doesn't mean we have to have all the answers. When people ask you what you believe about this or that and and you don't have the answer, don't fake it. You know, we we don't need uh, bad help desk phone calls, bad tech support, you know, where they're reading from a manual and they're saying, I'm so sorry. I, I can relate to the problem that you're having, and it's, I know that's very uh, difficult, and uh, let me see what I can do about it. And they, they, you hear them flipping the pages, and you know, they're getting, they don't really know. They just got a manual in front. Like, we don't even want to come across like that. Hold on, let me you know, get my apologetics book out and, and read to you. Um, we need to be prepared. We need to know how to give an answer. And when we don't, it's okay to say we don't know. Let me get back to you. Let me, you know, kind of do some, some research. That's a really good question. In fact, I have that question too, and I want an answer to it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into that and then follow up with them. Um, but as best we can, we need to be prepared because we should be getting the questions. We should be expecting the questions is what Peter's telling us. Like, uh, we don't, wait for the questions to get prepared. As best we can, we need to get prepared and anticipate the questions. That's where this upcoming study that we're about to enter into next week is, as I think, going to help us a lot. 
to, to be able to kind of unpack some of what we believe, some key doctrines, and, and talk about where these things come from and why, why do we believe them. Um, and then uh, an important part of this verse is to remember that it's supposed to be personal. This is supposed to be uh, your hope. It's not, you know, going to be what Thad tells you next week. That's, that's, that's going to be helpful in putting the pieces together for you. But it's supposed to be your hope in, in your words, with your story, to kind of back it up. That's where the power is going to come when you start to answer those questions, when you start to engage in conversation with people. So, that's the reason for the hope that we have. But what about this part? To everyone who asks you. That part of the verse is, is, is kind of intriguing to me. Is anyone asking you? What if that's not happening? If no one is asking why we're different as Christians in this world, then we're either too much like it or we just don't get out much. If no one is asking you why you're a little odd, why you do that or don't do that, you may find that you're just a little bit too much like everybody else in the world. Or maybe you're just not connected enough to anybody that would be asking those questions. That's certainly a possibility. But, you know, a little weird is okay for us as Christians. We should expect to be odd in this world. We don't need to sanitize our faith so much that it, it basically neutralizes the power of it in the world, uh, of, the, of the, the message and the presence of it in the world. We should be odd in a good way. So can we do anything to get them to ask? Are we just supposed to sit around and wait for it? Um, well, if nobody is asking, uh, I think the best place to start is that uh, we, we realize that our good behavior, uh, down at the end of the, of the verse, uh, 16, that your good behavior in Christ uh, may, may be... A, when they see that, that they're going to be ashamed of their slander, that, that that's what they're going to look to, that that's what they're going to see, your good behavior. That's, that's an easy one, right? That, that's just following Jesus. That's just doing it the way we're supposed to be doing it. The good behavior may cause them, should cause them at some point, according to, to Peter, to, to ask a few questions, to think some, some thoughts about you. Uh, is there anything else that we can do? Because it seems like we're supposed to be creating some curiosity for the world about this hope that we have, about this Jesus thing that we have going on, about this following a, a, a dead guy that, that was uh, put on a cross that um, supposedly uh, rose again, that, um, that we come and we, we take a piece of bread and we say, that's his body, and we're eating that. And we're, we're drinking and we're dipping it in a cup that we say is his blood. 
I mean, that's weird right off the bat, okay? So just basic stuff that we're doing, we can't lose sight of that. It's normal to us. It's weird to the world. But because it's just been like a religious thing, we've, the world has categorized. So that's not really what they're going to major on. That's not really what they're going to ask questions about because it's, it, it's mostly accepted um, but not, uh, not as a, a part of like real life, real society. So what else can we do that's going to spark the curiosity of uh, our life uh, to other people? I think proximity is key to curiosity. So as I said before, you, maybe we don't get out enough. Like we're not close enough to, to where the action is for the questions to be asked. And so we've got to think about what needs to change in me and in my life and my uh, way of doing things and my habits that, that put me a little closer to the, the, the people that would ask the questions, that are supposed to be asking the questions. Uh, I, I think there's some very practical steps that we can take and some habits that we can begin to build into our lives that are going to make us better missionaries in the world around us. So I want to give you five things that you can begin to do this week. Five things that you can begin to do this week. Most of them we're already doing. So the, don't freak out as far as like, oh, you know, this is just uh, one sermon and I'm supposed to reorganize my entire life. You're, you're already doing uh, a lot of these. The, the goal that I think we most need to set our sights on is to, how we can be more intentional with some things that we're already doing. In fact, one of them you're already doing right now, uh, being here and, uh, and listening to teaching. Uh, so um, we only got four left, right? Um, I didn't come up with these five things. They're from a guy named Michael Frost, who is one of the leading uh, missional uh, church guys in the world. And uh, he wrote a book called Surprise the World. And all I did was take these five things and kind of calm church them a little bit so that they fit for what we're about and what we're doing. So uh, we're going to look at these. And I believe that if we will begin to incorporate them into our lives, these five habits of our week uh, in a more intentional way, that we can see some dramatic change in our own perspective as an individual and then corporately as a church as to how we think about our missional effort in this world. And not only that, I think we will see some uh, and begin to hear, and my hope is that we will begin to have conversations and we will begin to, to ask for prayer and, and be uh, cognizant of what's going on in each other's lives in this area as we talk about uh, people that, we're, that God is bringing us into contact with where we're getting the opportunity to answer some of these questions. And we're, we're getting help from one another, and, and that becomes a regular part. And then beyond that, that we're, we're, we're celebrating uh, the, the fact that, um, that we have seen people that, that we know that we've been talking to that have come to a, a saving faith in Christ, that have chosen to follow him with their life. And, and maybe even we end up worshiping right next to them on a Sunday and sitting right next to them in a calm group. That's what 
this all is, is supposed to lead to. And please, please don't um, fall for the lie that I think the enemy wants us to believe that that's just not us. That's just not what we do. That's, that's somebody else. Um, as we talk about revival, that's part of it. Seeing people come to the Lord. I think that we all want that. Let's make the effort to be intentional about how we can get there, how we can begin to see that, and how we can make that more normal in our lives as individuals and in the life of our church. Let's change the culture of what we're doing now. So here's the five habits uh, for uh, missionaries. Eat, bless, listen, learn, and dream. All right, so let's tackle those one at a time. Eat. We all like to do that. Shared meals are definitely a part of Calm Church. Uh, they're primal to mankind. Uh, they've been going on uh, since the beginning of man, and they're vital to our uh, ability to function as a people together. Uh, sociologists tell us that they're key to good relationships, to healthy relationships. Uh, you, uh, it's a way of creating greater intimacy in a relationship. We eat with our friends. If, if someone is seen to be our enemy, inviting him or her to our table is seen as a, a gesture of peace. And it's incredible what we can accomplish as far as understanding one another's culture as we do that, as we eat together. That's why we go out to dinner on dates, right? It's a, it's a way to connect. Uh, it, it's it's kind of silly when you think about it. Like, I'm going to take you to eat food. Like, I'm going to feed you, and we're going to fall in love. Like, I mean, it's, it's food. It's, it's, it's just a weird thing. But there's something about, like, sharing a meal together that creates intimacy with people. And so we talk about things. Our guard is let down a little bit. We enjoy one another's company. Uh, we, we share uh, together. So as we look at how we can do this in, more, in a more intentional way, uh, and, and I've even dialed it back from some of what Frost was saying. What I want to ask us to do is to intentionally make space for having two meals in a week, two meals in a week with someone else, one with a fellow Com Church person. Now, most of you are going to knock that out when we get out of here tonight, uh, and, and you're going to go hang out together and eat. That's awesome. That, that is very biblical and very much a part of, uh, a, a healthy part of our culture here. We used to, to, when we met at a different time, we used to eat before. Uh, we, we would, if some of you remember that time, we'd have a potluck. Um, when we met in the morning, we would all go out to lunch together. So it's, it's really been a, an important and, and awesome part of who we are. So continue to do that. Uh, make space, make it intentional with one other, at least one other person a week. And then do the same with someone who you believe to be a, a non-believer. 
They may not be. You may find out over the meal that they are, but reach out in a way that, to someone that, that you're not as familiar with their faith, in other words, and see what the Spirit does with that. I'm not asking you to, to talk about Jesus at all as any kind of scripted part of this deal. I'm just asking you to go eat with somebody and let the Spirit take it from there. If they ask questions about you, then you should be ready to answer. And your faith should be an important part of your answer about who you are and what you do. And uh, even your church and what you do during the week. And So uh, at least one non-com church person, uh, hopefully somebody who you, you kind of at least think that may, they may be a non-believer, uh, and, uh, and then one com church person. Eat with those people. Uh, so two meals a, a week. Uh, and by doing it with one another, see, we, we get some encouragement in, in just kind of the, the whole exercise of hospitality. And there's something very close to the heart of God when we are hospitable uh, to one another. And then that's going to carry over into how we do it with non-believers. Okay? So, eat. Right? You ever, like, been told to eat more in a sermon? Doubt it. Um, eat. Second one is bless. So this could be in the form of a word or it could be in the form of an action. Find a way, two people again, find a way to bless two people. One non-Christian or someone who you think uh, or don't know uh, and and someone from within uh, the brothers and sisters here. Something that you can do to bless them. I got a really encouraging uh, text from somebody this week, and it was at the perfect time, and the words were just what I needed to hear, and it was from the, straight from the Spirit of God uh, to my spirit, and I really appreciated that. You can do that, okay? That's, that's, we, we just need to take a little bit of time to think about how can I bless someone, um, or what can I do for someone? What, how can I bless my neighbor? How can I bless my coworker? Uh, if you just can't come up with anything, like, I don't know who, like, I mean, just bake some cookies and take them to your neighbor. You never know, like, what the Lord's going to do with that. You, you probably don't interact with your neighbors enough anyway. Uh, that's just not our way that we do things anymore. But we need to. And that can make us, that's that odd, that weird, that curious thing that could start happening with you. Go to a rest home. I mean, go to a nursing home. You know, just go and... The lonely people that need some encouragement and see what the Spirit of God does with that. There are things that you can do, easy things that you can do to bless someone every week. And I'm not advocating that it always has to be easy or should be, but I'm just saying you don't have to like, go crazy trying to figure this out. It, it, the, the opportunities are out there. So eat together, um, bless someone, and then listen Listen to what the Spirit is saying to you through the body of Christ uh, as we gather to minister to one another. So that comes in the form of calm groups. That comes in the, the form of a weekly gathering with a small group of people where you can share your heart a little bit more uh, than what we get to do here. Um, that you can interact with and, and recognize the gift of the Spirit through them speaking to you. That the Holy Spirit can illuminate their words in such a way that you know that the Lord is speaking to you as you uh, ask for help or 
uh, prayer or or just receive, uh, even, you know, when you haven't even asked. Go approach that Wednesday night time or whenever your group meets like a missionary, kind of retreating from the world and saying, man, I need, I need to be in this safe space with my people. And I need to hear what God wants me to hear. And I need them to pray for me. And I need them to encourage me. And I know that they need the same thing. And so I want to be a part of that in their life as well. I need refreshment. Uh, and, and that kind of that, you know, just mid, midweek, like, stay in it, stay with it, uh, don't give up, fight the good fight kind of stuff. So listen to the Spirit through your, your calm groups, and then learn. Eat, bless, listen, learn. Come on Sundays with that attitude. What, what can I hear? What can I gather from what we're talking about? Uh, that was, that's going to help me be more like Jesus, to help me follow him. And especially come and make a commitment to be here for this next series that Thad's starting next week about what we believe and why we believe it because it's perfect for this kind of stuff to be a missionary, to be able to, to give an answer, to be able to be confident in our hope, to be able to, to be confident in what we could say to someone else. Now, we're not approaching it specifically from that angle. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing today. So this is kind of my like, uh, put this in your head for the next several weeks that we're going to be talking about this stuff and, and think about it like a missionary. Not just, oh yeah, that's good. Now I know what I believe. It's bigger than that. Okay. So, so think about it in, in these terms as, as we learn together. On Sunday. So uh, that's a commitment, that's a discipline that we've already given ourselves to. And then the last one is to dream. And what I mean by this is whenever you think about your week, like at some point, I mean, most of you, unless you're just like totally just flying uh, into Monday and you haven't had a chance to, to put anything together, which I get happens sometimes, but most of you are spending some time, maybe right now, I get it, thinking about your week ahead. So as you're doing that, maybe right now, think about what the Lord has done in the past week to give you opportunities to be a missionary for him, to answer questions, to uh, be in proximity to non-believers that might be asking questions, to create curiosity. What, what opportunities has he given you? Like reflect on those, like, oh yeah, I, I did awesome in that one. Or I blew it there and I need to like figure out how to do that better. You know, just reflect. Uh, but also dream and, and think about the week ahead. What, what opportunities lie before me? I've got this meeting and I know so-and-so is going to be there. And, you know, maybe I could uh, see about going to lunch with them afterwards. Or, you know, just like plan out your week with a missionary mindset. Don't just bump through life. You're not a slave to the system. You are a slave to God. And you should be asking him what he has for you to do each week, not just your boss. Plan for your missionary habits. Plan for these things. These things. They're up there for me. I think we all recognize that we need to be better at this, that we need to be more missional uh, people, that this is an area to grow in. And so I just really hope that we can begin to do this. Like, like I said, we're already doing so much of it. Just tweak it just a little bit. Like just take it you know, one notch up to being more intentional about 
employing uh, and, and, and making these things happen in your life and making them a habit for your life. And I, I guarantee we're going to see some progress in how we think about how we approach life uh, as, as missionaries and how we see people coming to know the Lord uh, and, and maybe even uh, continuing that discipleship process with us. So um, let's pray. And we're going to sing uh, a couple of songs that I think are very applicable to this um, after we engage in our weird practice uh, of um, communion. Communion with one another because we're united under the common bond of Christ. We're reminded of that as we all come forward to take this bread and this cup. Communion with our Savior who propels us into the world, who says, you are Jesus in the world now. And so I'm, I'm sustaining you for that task. Father, thank you for um, whatever thought you had to allow us to participate in your work on this earth. I pray that we take it seriously. I pray that you help us, um, each as individuals and, and, uh, and as a body, to be the kind of people that, that really care about taking your gospel truth into the world around us. Help us to be more uh, creative, more intentional, um, Help us to be people that lead the kind of lives that cause others to ask questions, good questions, about what's going on? What makes you like that? And so we receive your grace and your goodness in this moment, knowing that you send us out with it into this world. Thank you, Father. Come and receive. <laughs>